Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. We ended last week in chapter 5, verse 15. I'm going to overlap back up and do 15 again, and then through the end of the chapter. We're going to see that Gehazi wanted what Naaman offered to Elisha, but Elisha refused. The title of the sermon this morning, From Lies to Leprosy, and it's a study in greed. I thought that was appropriate for the Christmas season. <laughs> it's like preaching on gluttony after Thanksgiving. Right? You know, the world says, he that dies with the most toys wins. The Bible says in Luke 12, 15, a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. You've probably heard the writing on the English tombstone here lies a miser who lived for himself and cared for nothing but gathering wealth. Now where he is or how he fares, nobody knows and nobody cares. Webster's Dictionary defines greed as excessive desire for getting or having, especially wealth, or it is a desire for more than one needs or deserves. Listen to what... Uh, the Bible says about greed, taken from the Zondervan Pictorial Bible Encyclopedia. In scripture, greed is depicted in a bad sense only. It, def it is defined as idolatry, vanity, and the root of all evils. God abhors, forbids, and even punishes greed. Greed is characteristic of the wicked and slothful, inconsistent in believers, especially ministers, originates in the heart, engrosses the heart, is never satisfied. It leads to foolish and harmful lust, departure from the faith, falsehood, theft, poverty, misery, injustice and oppression, domestic affliction, and murder. This sin, this sin can cause one to miss heaven. It shall abound in the last days, but those who hate it will be rewarded. All of those taken from phrases in scripture. That's how God feels about greed. Well, let's review what happened in the first section of 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman, the captain of the armies of Ben-Hadad II, king of Syria, was a leper. And a girl who had been taken captive from Israel was made a servant to Naaman's wife. And she said to her wife, uh, his wife one, one morning what, that there was a man of God in Samaria who could heal her husband, Naaman, of his leprosy. Naaman showed up in Samaria along with a letter from the king of Syria and he showed up and, and met Joram, the king of Israel. It was the, the letter was, uh, ben, ben the letter, Joram read that and said, you know, Ben-Hadad is trying to start a war with me. But Elisha stepped in and said, send him to me. And Elisha sent his servant out to greet Naaman Tell him to wash in the Jordan River by dipping seven times. And at first, Naaman's pride uh, got the better, and he was offended. Elisha hadn't even come out of the house. He sent his servant, told him to, to wash in this muddy river. But his servants persuaded him to obey the instructions of the prophet. And after the seventh dip in the Jordan, his wife, his, his skin was restored to the flesh of his childhood now we pick up again the story in verse 15. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. 
Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules' burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord, all capital letters there, unto Jehovah, Yahweh. In this thing the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon to worship there, and he leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, when I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. And he said unto him, Go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. We'll just divide the, the passage here into two sections. First, the refusal of Naaman's offer uh, by Elisha, and then the greed of Gehazi. What would a person pay to be healed of leprosy? If you meet someone with a terminal illness today, money is no, no object. I want to be healed. I'm sure this is how he felt when the king of Syria sent Naaman back to the king of Israel along with that cover letter. He also sent great riches along with that, uh, that embassy. And you say, why did he do that? I think he expected the healing to take place. Look back in verses 5 and 6, and we'll see that treasure that came along. King of Syria said, go to go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, and 6,000 pieces of gold, and 10 changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And that's what made the king so upset. King Joram, how can I do this? Well, what was, what was given? 6,000 pieces of gold. These pieces were probably shekels. A shekel weighed four-tenths of an ounce. So that would have been 150 pounds of gold. Then 10 talents of silver, a talent weighed between 70 and 75 pounds. If we go with the 70 pounds, he's sending 700 pounds of silver. In today's value, things fluctuate a lot, but 700 pounds of silver, right now worth probably around $236,000. 125 pounds of gold worth uh, almost 3 million, 2,800,000. And also 10 garments. Now when you read that, you don't picture those 10 nice outfits that you have to wear that you picked up at the department store. Uh, in these days, people didn't have several outfits. Uh, clothes were handmade. And these garments were no doubt uh, raiments that were, that were created for royalty. They're probably complete with gold and silver decorations made of the finest silks. One commentator says that the garments alone were probably worth a king's ransom. I think of other passages in the Old Testament where we read about uh, the value of these clothes in the Old Testament. Uh, Joseph sent to his family, uh, each of his brothers and his father, a change of raiment, but also to Benjamin, five changes of clothing. The Babylonish garment was one of the things that caught Achan's eye, as we read in Joshua chapter 7. Uh, he, he, he stole 200 shekels of silver, 50 shekels of gold, and this, this raiment. But Elisha refused the gift. After Naaman said that the God of Israel is the only God in all the earth, 
There was an offer of his gratitude, of, of something that he wanted to give to Elisha. He calls it a blessing, a thank you offering. And in Elisha's reaction, we learn some wonderful lessons about contentment, about trust in God. One lesson is that man is not to take credit for the work of God. Another lesson, man is not to profit from God's work. The third is that God's grace is not for sale. It's free. It's unmerited. It's undeserved and unearned. There are other instructions about taking credit or profiting from God's work in the, in the Bible in the New Testament, especially when we read about Simon, not Simon Peter, but Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, verses 18 through 21. Simon was watching what was happening as the apostles ministered to people, and they noticed that when the apostles put their hands on people, they received the Holy Spirit. And he said, that's what I want to be able to do. And Peter identified Simon's true condition in Acts 8, verse 20. Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Peter was saying, first of all, your money and you are both going to perish. They're not going to last. Secondly, he said, you don't have a part in this matter. You've got the wrong motives. This is not what, what God's grace is all about. It's not a monetary value that you put on it. And then he says, your heart isn't right in God's sight. And God knows all of our hearts. The work of the Holy Spirit is not some commodity that we add to our portfolio or gain recognition from other people by having. Peter offered the only solution, repent and pray. Repent of the wickedness, turn from the evil. First, verses 23 and 24, Peter said, I, this is in Acts chapter 8 still, for I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness. Gall means uncleanness, and bitterness is rebellion. So you're, you're in the uncleanness and rebellion. And in the bond of iniquity, that is, you're in the bondage of sin. You're controlled by sin. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things you have spoken of come upon me. Isn't that interesting? Peter said, You need to pray that God would forgive you. And he says, pray for me. And we're never going to keep someone out of hell by praying for them. We can pray that God will open their eyes, but they have to pray. They have to repent of their sin and turn to Christ. It's an individual matter. We don't pray other people out of hell. The New Testament also records the correct attitude of contentment. We find it in the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 9.14, he wrote, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. That is, they should be worthy, they should be paid for their, their, their preaching, their ministry. The laborer is worthy of his hire. It was only right to be paid for his work in the ministry. But that's not why Paul was in ministry. He wasn't in it to get rich. And he says in verses 16 and 18, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. 
For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power of the gospel. Well, it's ordained. God designed it for people to be compensated for their work. The Old Testament, uh, he quotes in the New Testament, that Old Testament law of not muzzling the ox that treads out, treads out the corn. That is, when the oxen is there turning the, the stone at the mill, they don't muzzle him. He's able to eat of the corn that's falling on the floor so that he can have strength to continue his work. And in the New Testament, was that given for the oxen? No, it's for the, for the worker in the New Testament also. But Paul was not in ministry for money. This was not his motivation. So Elisha's refusal of Naaman's offer was so that God alone would receive the glory. Too often we get into that. You know, they're going to do something. We had somebody call the church this week. Can I give something to the church? Well, why do you want to give it? Well, we want you to sign up for this other thing. Well, that's not the way we do, you know, we don't charge for our work here in the ministry. We don't take donations like that. The Bible Knowledge Commentary, commentary says, The man of God did not perform his miracle for reward, but at the word of the Lord, and he did not want anyone to think otherwise. God was going to get the credit, not Elisha. That's interesting in this one section here. Naaman asked for as much soil as two mules could carry back to Syria. The god that the king of Syria worshipped was Hadad-Rimmon. Uh, all of Syria worshipped because that's what the, who the king worshipped. It was shortened here to Rimmon. And Naaman is, is a new convert. He, he was a heathen. And he said, there's no god in all the earth but in Israel. So I believe he's made the right decision there. But he asked for the soil to be taken back so that uh, probably it could be out of superstition. It may be that he, he wasn't ready to tell Ben-Hadad, the king, not to worship in Rimmon. But he thought uh, this was a way that he could remember the God of Israel. I'll put that dirt in the, in the place where Rimmon is worshipped and I'll kneel on that soil. Well, obviously he knew this was wrong. He said in, in verse 18 at the Beginning of the verse, and then again at the end of the verse, he said, in this, uh, thy Lord pardon thy servant. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something probably uh, that's wrong, but pardon me for it. And when Elisha said, go in peace, he wasn't talking about, uh, I approve of this compromise. He was saying, have a safe journey home. Okay? He, wasn't, he wasn't putting his endorsement on, on that false worship. So we have the refusal of Naaman's gift. And now, in contrast, we see the great greed of Gehazi. Gehazi went after Naaman to get some of the treasure that Elisha had refused. Matthew Henry writes, Those that are for getting wealth at any time and by any means whatsoever, right or wrong, lay themselves open to a great deal of temptation. We see greed's plan in verses 20 through 23, Gehazi plotted. He, this was premeditated, what he was going to do. Once he saw the gold, the silver, the ten garments, he was convinced, I've got to have that. 
Gehazi's scheme to get what wasn't rightfully his. Verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman this Syrian, in not receiving at his hands that which he brought, but the Lord, as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. And compare those words of Gehazi in verse 20 to what Elisha said in verse 16. There's some similarities, but there's a huge difference. They both start, as the Lord liveth. Elisha said in verse 16, as the Lord liveth before whom I stand. Gehazi left that part out. He didn't want to think about his relationship with the God before whom he stood. There's accountability there. So Elisha said, as the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. That is a holy promise. It's based on a trust in God who provides for all of our needs. Gehazi said, as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. I will run and take. This is a profane oath. It's based on the selfish motives of a greedy heart. Isn't it amazing how people go through all these mental gymnastics to make something that they want to do look okay? I'm going to justify it some way. Gehazi might have thought, you know, Naaman has been healed of leprosy. That's worth a lot. He's happy to share it. I might as well be the one to receive it. No one will ever know. Elisha said he didn't want it, but I could have a lot of use for it. He may have reasoned, you know, these are Syrians. They're our enemies. Uh, could it be wrong to take back something that they may have even taken from us when they plundered our land? So he works all this thing, all this out. And he planned on how he could get it. In verses 21 through 23, let's read those. So Gehazi followed after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him. And he said, is all well? And he said, all is well. My master hath sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants, and they bear them before him. Did you see that this rush that Gehazi is in to do what's wrong? I will run after him. He's in a hurry. Verse 20, I will run. And then in verse 21, Naaman saw that Gehazi was running after him. He was in a hurry to get this accomplished. Man is often in a hurry to do the evil that's in his heart. In Proverbs 6, 18, there are in that passage, six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. One of the seven are feet that be swift in running to mischief. He was in a hurry. He lied. The first lie, he asked if everything was well. And he said it was, but all was not well. Greed had taken over in Gehazi's heart. Lie number two, my master hath sent me. Elisha didn't send him. Lie number three, he made up this story about two young prophets who showed up. And they, were, they needed those garments and just one of the pieces of silver. He even covered that selfish request by saying, I, I don't need it all. 
just one talent of silver out of the ten, just two changes of garment out of the ten, none of the gold is mentioned. He's being reasonable. And Naaman gave him two talents of silver, two changes of raiment, and sent two of his servants to carry them, and they preceded Gehazi as he returned. And I can see the wheels turning. How can I get there without Elisha finding out? Notice the privacy in verses 24 and 25. Gehazi attempted to hide what he was doing, to hide his greed. Verse 24, and when he came to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house, and he let the men go, and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. Deceptive actions. It says that he came to the tower. The word is an interesting word in the Hebrew language. It can also mean a, a, a hill. Barnes writes in his commentary, the hill interrupted the view of the direction taken by Naaman and Gehazi, dismissed Naaman's servants at this point, lest they should be seen from his master's residence. It was all, all figured out. I'll just make this exchange behind the hill and, and no one will see. Gehazi took the silver and the garments into the house. He bestowed them in the house. I mentioned Achan in Joshua chapter 7. In that we see the anatomy of greed, the progression that greed takes. In Joshua 7 verse 21, when Achan is finally confessing, now that he's found out, he said, I saw, I coveted and took, and I hid them under my tent. He saw, he coveted, he took, he hid. Gehazi did the same thing. It's a good time to stop and ask the question, is there anything that you've hidden in your tent, in your house? Is there something in your life that you're trying to keep from other people knowing about? You might think, well, I've kept it hidden for quite a while. Nobody knows. But God knows all about it. Come clean with him today. Don't live with the guilt that that kind of hiding builds. Confess it to him. Make it, make it clean with him today. Here, Gehazi has more lies. Earlier, he had lied to Naaman, verse 22. All is well. My master sent me. He makes up this story about the two men who have need. And now he lies directly to Elisha. If you lie once... You generally have to lie again to cover the first one up. And it gets real difficult remembering, what did I say before, because that was a lie. It's so much easier just to tell the truth all the time. One lie begets another. Uh, Sir Walter Scott was the one who wrote, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when once we practice to deceive. I believe here in verse 25, this was Gehazi's last opportunity to repent. Elisha asked, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? Oh, if he had only said, I've done something terrible. I've done something to satisfy my own greed, but he didn't. And he tells his fourth lie I didn't go anywhere. Notice in the last two verses, greed's punishment. 
Gehazi was punished according to his greed. And he said unto him, Went not my heart with thee? This is Elisha speaking. When the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee, is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and oliveyards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? The leprosy, therefore, of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. Let's look at the words of Elisha's rebuke. It was kind. Went not my heart with thee when the man turned against thee again from his chariot to meet thee? The wording, mine heart, there indicates that Gehazi was a dear, beloved friend. Elisha's rebuke was clear. It's a time, is it a time to receive money, to receive garments, oliveyards? He goes through all these material possessions. Is that what we're living for? If we're to lay up our treasures in heaven, let's not waste our time pursuing the temporary material wealth that this world has to offer. Oh, we, we have to have money, I know, to go to the grocery store to pay our taxes to do these things. But let's not let it control and consume every moment of our days. How can I get more? The rebuke of Elisha and then the reward. Gehazi was immediately smitten with leprosy. He lost his health. He lost his heritage. As long as his family remained, they would all be lepers. He took Naaman's gifts, but he didn't know he would also get Naaman's leprosy. Bishop Hall wrote, Oh, heavy talents of Gehazi. Oh, the horror of the one unchangeable suit. How much better had been a light purse and a homely coat with a sound body and a clean soul. Is there something that your heart is pursuing today that you know God doesn't want you to have? Are you willing to surrender all of that desire and say, Lord, I'm content with whatever you have for me in life? Let me just give three practical steps that will help us overcome this enemy of greed. Number one, Trust God's direction. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Trust God's direction. Number two, believe God's word. So many promises. Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Trust God's direction. Believe his word. Third, seek his kingdom. Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, of the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God will give you all that you need. Trust his direction. Believe his word. Seek his kingdom. And you'll find that perfect contentment that comes in knowing and trusting Christ. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And I pray that today we would make sure that our hearts are not pursuing the things that you have not uh, deigned for us to have. 
Help us to be content, to have little or to have much. That we wouldn't be swayed, that it wouldn't change the way that we take the gospel to the ends of the earth. The way that we live our lives from day to day. Help others to see the, the faith that we have in you and the trust that we have in you. That we're not putting our, our trust in any riches or any possessions that we have, but only in Christ. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.